Hi guys, welcome back to the Earthy Delights podcast. I hope you're keeping well. This week we talked to Jessica Harris, a music therapist from Ireland. We talk about music therapy, what it entails, what it looks like and what it can help achieve given the right circumstances, as well as the troubles it has to establish itself worldwide as a recognised clinical therapy practice. Jessica's passion for music is obvious and it's great to learn more about something we all intrinsically know and have experienced, the therapeutic nature of music. I hope you all enjoy. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Earthly Delights. We have Jessica Harris today. Thank you, Jessica, for joining us. Oh, it's my it's my great pleasure. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's um, great to be here. So we're really looking forward to this conversation because it's been in the pipeline for a while. And I think, as Seb mentioned a few minutes ago, I think people know, I think they know what musical therapy is or music therapy is, but they probably haven't done... Um, real interrogation as to like how it really works and how you need to adapt depending on the person etc etc and so i'm looking forward to this before we delve in what's the crack oh all is good all is good over here um yeah i suppose in in ireland we're in the process of um as i was just saying to james and said just before we began we're we're um schools and and colleges are are open so thankfully i i currently work with the royal irish academy of music um in dublin so thankfully and wonderfully i can still see all my fabulous clients um within um within the academy and i also i also work in in um, a couple of schools in ballymun and i'm so thrilled to get back and see the um and see the kids there as well so that's that's really good. I mean, I think things are a bit strange um, for everyone at the moment, and um, are are definitely up and down. And it's it's definitely tough when we can't in, um, engage and and do the things that we love doing um, on a daily basis. And um, so that that's definitely that's definitely tough. But all is well. And uh, yeah, <laughs> thankfully me and all my family are well. So all is good. I'm happy to hear. We just yeah. take it day by day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Jess, I was wondering if um, before we kind of get on to what is music therapy, how how did you start in this sector? How how did you get involved in it? Um, and what's like your background? Yeah, sure. Well, I um, I kind of I play the oboe. That was my that was my first instrument. And my favorite thing about playing the oboe, apart from my love of music, um, was really being able to play with other people, like the people that I met through orchestras and um, and, and ensembles and and um, that while I was studying were just such wonderful people that I just thought this is what I want to be surrounded by. And the experience of playing music and that feeling of belonging and and um, really really was so important to me um and still is um mm. growing up um becoming a teenager you know kind of figuring out who I wanted to be that was really kind of integral to me and um and crucial for me and so I had I had always um recognized the importance of music in that sense um, and I remember I had a and for for the duration of my studying the oboe I had the most amazing oboe teacher and she used to say to me you know really there is a place where everybody can enjoy and appreciate and belong within music and that felt so important to me so it had always kind of been in the back of my mind that there was more to making music than um than than the beauty of the of the the, the beauty of the music and then that also that sense of belonging and and that feeling of well-being that can come with it 
Um, but I went into a direct music degree in the academy. I did my BA there um, in performance. And then I went over to London and did my master's in the Royal College there. And I had amazing, incredible experiences. And just after I'd finished um, my master's in, in London, my sister was in a, a car accident. We have lots of family in Vancouver. So it, it happened in Vancouver. And um, she is so wonderful now, but it was quite it, it was a very serious accident at the time. So we traveled over and we were very involved and engaged in her rehabilitation over there before she could orientate herself and come back um, to to Ireland. Um, and she had many wonderful therapists and a wonderful team over there that were really incredible. I mean, I don't think we couldn't have asked for, for a better team over there, but also during the weekends when she wasn't receiving the therapy, we would, I suppose, spend so much time with her. Um, she had to do things like, you know, learn to walk again. And the basic, the basic things were really uh, challenging for her again. But um, I mean, she is, she is so wonderful and she made the most miraculous recovery truly, but she did have a music therapist over there Um and I, it wasn't that I really got to spend, she, she only got a couple of sessions of music therapy. It wasn't really that I got to spend a lot of time um, sort of observing and, and um, the, 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 her response to music therapy. It was more, it, it kind of changed my, my focus and my direction. And um, it, I was living in London at the time and it definitely made me feel like I wanted to return home as well and be close to the family. Um, and my sister returned she was in the NRH over here which is the neuro rehabilitation hospital over here for a while um and you know that was that was when she could orientate herself and come home and I used to do a lot of singing with her at that time I hadn't really obviously I hadn't been to college I hadn't explored the scope of how we can use music or um you know any of the any of the sort of awareness of a music therapist I hadn't I didn't have yet but I used to sing with her a lot because that's that was kind of my um immediate response in how to be with her and she and she also loves music so you know we were kind of able to share that at the time and and connect in that way um and so we decided, well, my mom is a bit of a powerhouse and she decided she was going to raise some funds for the NRH here to have a, a music therapist because they're the most incredible people working in the NRH. But the building itself is pretty, um, can be a bit intimidating. It's quite grey. It's quite, um, but there are the most wonderful people working within the building. Um, the facilities themselves are are. Um, are, are quite um, quite old and I think there are there is there is rebuilding planned or I'm, I'm not too sure about that but so mum was campaigning actually for a music therapist um, to be able to work within the NRH um, and while she was campaigning she was on the radio and she um, ended up in a discussion with a gentleman called Simon Gilbertson who um, is really a specialist um, in music therapy with um, people with traumatic brain injury and traumatic brain injury can include accidents, stroke, um, sort of any, any sort of trauma that neurological trauma that, um, that someone might receive. So I had been, because of everything um, that had been going on, I'd been late in um, applying for the music therapy course in UL, which is the only course that you can do here in Ireland. Um, I often get asked, can you, 
become an accredited music therapist here in Dublin? And the answer is not yet, but hopefully that will change. Um, and I know Deborah, who's um, the director of the academy, is is keen for that to change. But he said, put in your application, get in there. <laughs> and so I did, because he was a lecturer in UL at the time. Um, and so I went and, and did my interview and audition, which is it's quite rigorous because there's quite a few things that they want to know um, about you before you start to become a music mm. therapist. Um, you know, uh, um, basically, do you have the musical ability to connect with someone? Um, do you have do you have the those that mu- the that level of music of musicianship that that you would be able to use to engage with someone in a session? And also, you know. Um, I suppose, are you aware as a person about the sensitivities about working with people? And are you are you kind of an aware person and, um, in terms of how you're connecting people, how, how you're approaching people, you know, how they're responding to you? Do you have that kind of an innate awareness about you? So the, the, it's quite a rigorous interview. But anyway, I got in and that that was how I started my journey as a music therapist. <laughs> I mean, beautiful. Thank you, thank you for sharing. I'm, I'm glad to hear that your uh, your sister's better now. Oh, was, um, yeah. What for? So for someone who doesn't, who just hears music therapy, like Jim said at the start, I think we think it's kind of intuitive. Our oh, music therapy, you should listen to yeah. some song. It's, people always say, don't they? Music is therapeutic. Actually, um, what what would you say to those people? Like, what what does music therapy actually entail? If you're going to okay. for a music therapy session, what could you expect to see, or I bet better yet to hear? I what guess. would it look like? It's such a good question because even when we started our music therapy degree, we had to write down what our concept of music therapy was, and then we were presented with them again at the end of the two years and it had <laughs> so much but I, yeah. um, I think music therapy first of all I think it's a much more clinical um, it's allied to medicine to the medical professions so it's it's a far more clinical therapy than I suppose than we would initially imagine so mm. and it looks very different depending on who we're working with and I suppose our, our the approach of the music therapists themselves so for for example if I'm working with someone who is um, very young, I would be bringing my therapeutic awareness, which would be telling me about how they're making music with me and how we can support and, and um, support them in their, in, in, I suppose, with goals that we have determined through an assessment that we're trying to work towards. And those goals um, could be, for example, we could be um, developing someone's speech and language skills, someone's communication skills. For example, Someone who's very young with autism might be really working hard on making eye contact with people or sharing or taking turns. And so that would be that would be in our goals. And those goals are determined through an assessment, which could be the first few sessions. But it's also generally a conversation with the person who refers so the person who brought um, my client to me. And that could be a parent or a carer um, or it could be uh, another professional, another healthcare professional. So we work towards very clinical goals um, in a complete range of areas. So you can imagine if I'm working with someone young with autism, it looks very different to if I'm working with um, somebody in elder care with dementia. Mm. For example, our goals um, when we're working perhaps someone uh, in an older age group with dementia, we might be working to reconnect on uh, reconnect memories. We might be uh, working to um, re-stimulate some of our language 
um, abilities. We might be working on movement. Um, we might be uh, so that there it, it would look very very different to working with um, someone someone young with autism. But we we do have some, I suppose, techniques that are really important that we use. Um, that could be commonalities. Um, one technique that a lot of music therapies music therapists use quite frequently is improvisation. Um, which is creating spontaneous music together. And the reason we do that is because when someone creates music with me, um, it tells me a lot about how they're responding outside of that interaction. For example, with their families or with their friends or um, in their wider communities or peer groups. Um, and it is just literally spontaneous music making. And the, I suppose, our training and our awareness is how to support that person in that music, uh, in that music making, and um, to reflect, to reflect the kind of music that they that they are creating, um, uh, to support them in that, um, to to support them to feel heard in the music that they're making, and sometimes to guide them in a change. So sometimes, for example, um, if if um, so, sometimes to guide them through a specific. Um, pattern of making music that might support them to create change in other areas. Uh, <laughs> so basically, um, music therapy sessions, sometimes they can look like loads of fun. Like sometimes they can look like, for example, with someone young, it might look like I'm doing lots of games or, you know, singing lots of songs and playing music together. Um, you know, if I'm working with someone in elder care, it might look like I'm dancing and singing with them or it might look like I'm um, um, playing their favorite their favorite songs that they that they actually have the language to sing with me, even though maybe some of their other language is no longer with them. Um, so it can look very, very different, but it is a, but it is a very clinical process. Mm. But. Before we pick up on like the demographics and the different techniques, there's a point that you made earlier that I'm really interested in, which was um, that currently you can't become an accredited music therapist in Ireland. Is that correct? You, well, only in UL. Yeah. So you're uh, in, yeah. Because, yeah. Right. Because, so my girlfriend, she's a, I think she actually studied at the same place as you in London in Royal College. She's a drama therapist. Oh, cool. uh, <laughs> she's an accredited drama therapist in the UK, but in Spain, you can't, you can't have classes and as a, you can't teach or, or have sessions as a, as a drama therapist It's not kind of recognized. And I was wondering, you know, we're hoping to get, we're going to get on a dance therapist um, at some point as well in the future. And so I was wondering, what do you think um, is kind of the, the, the holdup with these quote unquote um, alternative therapies? What, why do you think in some places it's, it's kind of hard to become accredited or even to become yeah. established? Because even in the UK, I mean, I didn't, I'm going to be honest, I didn't know about drama therapy before my girlfriend started studying it. And she told me that it's in the NHS. Mm -hmm. But yet, when you tell people about it, you can see that people like the general like consciousness is kind of like, oh, it's a bit of this woo woo type therapy what why do you think we don't kind of see it in the same sphere as we do the typical kind of sitting on the couch on a chaise long talking to someone in a, in a very expensive room in london somewhere what, yeah. what's the hold up there i think your question is fabulous and the re um, and uh, i think a big part of the reason is because we we have um a huge responsibility um as therapists we have we have an absolutely huge responsibility to the people that we're working with 
um, to be um, to be as therapeutically aware um, and to be um, as um, and 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 to be, I suppose, as therapeutically responsible as we can. And to do that, we need to have absolutely the right accreditations because, as I was saying, it is, it's a clinical profession. It's allied to medicine. There is a reams of evidence supporting our work. Um, and here, here in Ireland, I suppose, we, we've, been, we've been working towards what we call, you know, government accreditation. And the reason why that's so important is because there are lots of incredible musicians who do fantastic work um, and volunteer their time and their beautiful, the gift of their music um, with vulnerable groups in society. Um, but at the moment, they could call themselves in Ireland, they could, they could say, well, I am engaging in as a music therapist. But that's not the case because the clinical awareness that the music therapist brings is something very different. And so that's that's why the distinction is so is so important that the, we have a we have a huge responsibility um, to our clients that we're working in the most um, professional, responsible way. Uh, and so that's why, quite rightly, um, I suppose the issue of accreditation is one that is so important now when it comes when it comes to i suppose different countries i suppose really that that is that is so important and and music therapy it is a relatively young profession i mean you know um in terms of our understanding of it and our awareness of the benefits of music therapy and so that's possibly why maybe some countries are a little bit slower to um uh to uh, to validate with the accreditation in that sense um and that is it is so important because it because because it, it protects it protects the, our clients that we're working with. And um, and it, it means that we we have to work in the most responsible way. And, and it is a huge responsibility. I mean, if you're thinking of working with someone who possibly hasn't had these outlets of communication before, say I'm working with a young adult in their 20s um, with intellectual disability and really they haven't had these channels of communication available to them before um, because that's what music is you know it's it's a, it's a channel of communication that we don't need words to express it's non-invasive but we can say things through our music that we cannot say and cannot express uh, through other means and this might be their first opportunity um, in in their lives to really connect with someone and communicate with someone and that's a huge responsibility and it's um, and it's something that we can't underestimate and we can't undervalue, um, and so I think that the the issue of accreditation is so important for that reason that we have to we have to appreciate and and um, value the awareness and the and the, the professional responsibility of, of therapists in the same way that um, we do with um, psychotherapists, uh, the same way we do with you know. Um, other other clinicians such as OTs, physios, um, speech and language therapists. I mean, we often work with um, speech and language therapists, OTs, because we share some goals um, with our clients. And music is often uh, when we work together with music therapy and these other um, and these other um, modalities and professions. Really, music can be a, an incredibly motivating force that makes that makes things that previously could be really difficult much easier much easier for our clients to engage in and work towards those goals um yeah so that's 
the uh, <laughs> the phrase that comes to mind when you mentioned how very, uh, we can't express ourselves sometimes with words or some people can't express themselves but with music they can't uh, the phrase that comes to mind is um, there's a song I know, I know Seb knows it it's called uh, Nobody Knows Me Like the Piano does oh, oh Stamper <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I have to listen to that now oh it's beautiful it's beautiful oh. Jim I was only I was only just watching a video of that like yesterday I think uh, I was only just watching a video yeah yeah, beautiful. Uh, it, it came to mind, but I guess because this is the question that I wanted to ask anyway, and is the idea that in a lot of the cases or a lot of the clients that you're working with, is it that music is uh, facilitates a stronger connection with themselves that that they couldn't have that they couldn't have reached w- with another way? Oh, that's a that that's a beautiful question. Um, and my answer is, I think sometimes yes, and sometimes it's, I suppose it's expressing what we what we may have known but haven't been able to express through a different channel. Um, and because it's nonverbal, that's that's the beauty, you know. When I'm working with clients who are nonverbal, and again, I suppose just to express the vulnerability sometimes of. Uh, the people I work with and that and again that's that's why it is such a professional responsibility that I have to um such a careful and and professional responsibility I have to my clients but if I'm working with someone who is who is non-verbal um and really isn't language is not their is not their means of expression but that music that they might express I, I feel that that was already that is their voice hmm. oh I feel that 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 was already in them that is their true selves you know that they're that they're reflecting when they when they make music with me that is their that is their true selves that is that they are reflecting yeah i I, jim Jim and i are both like a lovers of language and i've always kind of thought of music as another language um i think something about it is so enchanting because i've never really whilst i love music uh, my dad tried to force me to play saxophone when i was younger (laughs) and uh, i rebelled and i now wish i had but um i've I've always been enchanted by it because to me it's kind of seemed like the language that's almost like undecipherable i can't ever kind of make it out but it speaks to you kind of intrinsically and i don't know if anyone else comes across this but when i listen to music when I listen to it with lyrics, I get a very different feeling than when I listen to an instrumental, even if kind of the theme or the genre is the same for some reason, especially if I'm trying to almost kind of make it therapeutic, I listen to um, instrumental music. I think it just, it does something for me as opposed to, I sometimes find the words kind of mumble and they kind of make the music kind of less pure in a, in a weird way. I was wondering when you, when you're working with, um, with your clients, do you kind of lean towards instrumental music or or is or is it 50-50 or or is there kind of a preference there that's such a good question um and i'm going to i think my answer has kind of a few parts because mm-hmm. um just to express that when i'm in a session with someone it's it's incredibly interactive so it it's sort of um often it would be less about the about listening and more about interacting creating music together um, right. And so uh, songwriting would definitely be something that I would sometimes would sometimes be a very powerful um, expression that I would use with uh, with clients in our sessions. Um, and the other part of that question is because I, th- I find it really interesting because often when you listen to songs, um, sometimes to me, um, 
the lyrics and and the melodies themselves kind of contrast in the emotion that they mm-hmm. that they are expressing and yeah. um, I feel that maybe that can sometimes be confusing like yeah. um you know do you know do you ever hear a really upbeat song but the, the lyrics are actually the lyrics. Something, something really yeah or poignant yeah. um yeah and like that that kind of really confuses <laughs> confuses me a bit so um i suppose if i were if i am writing songs um in in sessions we would be we would be reflecting together on the type of music that we wanted to express and and that would also reflect the lyrics so they wouldn't be as uh, incongruous which I, I yeah because you know sometimes and you think hang on these lyrics are really sad but this song is making me feel really happy feel happy yeah 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 and i know what you mean and i think sometimes in some occasions lyrics can be a little bit of an imposition because they kind of um apart from being contrasting they can sometimes um i think they're they're a reflection of the artist's uh, feeling and that can sometimes really connect with us yeah. and sometimes um that can be like that can sometimes truly connect with us and sometimes i just look at the lyrics of clients and bring how that how that their meaning bring is is meaningful for us but sometimes we can be re- they can help us to disconnect from the other deeper message that the melody and the music is bringing um mm. So I think that can be quite contrasting. So I think sometimes yes, sometimes no. Is no yeah. If that makes sense. Um, Thanks for that, Jessica. Yeah. I, I'm also interested because uh, I'm someone who kind of needs, very often I need the picture to be painted quite plainly or I need to experience to truly think I know what's going on. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in terms of uh, like the process or... For, for I know it's it's very different depending on on your client and but for instance could you give me an example of when a client walked in and this was their present condition and through consistent musical therapy uh, how this helped them develop right um yeah sure I can give you an example of a young man in his twenties um who attended. Um, who attended sessions with me through um, a facility for young adults with autism. And he had, um, I would say, moderate to severe autism, uh, minimal language, um, and uh, found some areas of, of, um, of, of his life in ter- um, challenging. When I met him, for example, he came in, and the first time we met, it was a bit... Um, often meeting and and starting a routine for the first time can be quite challenging so um and I think it was his lunchtime as well so he came in and uh and he he was just a bit um and we met and he he came in and um he had some lego with him and he had his lunch with him and so we kind of spent that time getting to know each other and the next time he came in I have lots of instruments set up around me and I had the keyboard and um, I would usually frame the session with like a hello and a goodbye. So that um, and sometimes, um, especially when I'm working um, with people with autism, it would be a lot more structured than um, sessions with uh, with people from other populations with other needs, because that is something that brings a sense of safety and security and people know um what is happening next which can be really important um so but he came and sat beside me on the piano after the hello song 
and um we played the piano together for half an hour uh after that <laughs> and it was kind of amazing because the staff um the staff members around him uh, hadn't had never seen him engaged for that kind of length of time in such a focused way. So we were playing the piano together, and I was um, playing some harmonies. We were improvising, and he was he was playing melodies. And then um, the staff told me a few songs that he really liked, so we were playing them on the piano as well. And he just was engaging for a half an hour fo- uh, in a really focused way. And if you can imagine, I suppose, like a um, so some that the the insight that you would get from someone who came in and was initially playing with Lego, uh, and that was, I suppose, what what he was reflecting out and what the staff had had seen, and then he was sitting completely focused on the piano, um, and it changed everybody's kind of perception of him as well because he was so focused and so engaged and um, actually picking up skills. Um, in 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 a in a brilliant way, so like people were seeing him in a whole new um, light. Does that does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so and then the next question I have to ask was: so this yeah. this this particular person had uh, a familiarity with playing piano before? Or, no, they no. hadn't. They okay. hadn't actually. No, yeah. That's they very hadn't. interesting. They hadn't, and. Um, yeah, we went on. Um, we went on. Sadly, we can't see each other at the moment, but we went on to work together for quite quite a while after that. Um, uh, and and it was it was wonderful because it really helped support everyone to see him in a in a whole new light, like in a whole um, as the as the wonderful young adult he he was. He was um, highly capable of picking up new skills and focusing and engaging and. Um. Yeah. Do you think that's <laughs> often the, the the problem in society where people uh, people's perceptions of themselves are limited because generally society pushes you to uh, some limited areas, and they say, "Oh, if you if you're not if you're not good at this, or if you're not expressive in this, or what we believe to be coherent or fluent in this, uh, oh, well, oh, we look at you differently. We look at you like somewhat less." Uh, rather than ac- acknowledging that people have tendencies that they can express themselves in this way or that way, and that for us not to give these people these opportunities is yeah. very reductive, you know. Definitely, I I completely agree. And when I started the academy, um, we really wanted to project the message that really the academy is for everyone. And I remember making the comment that it's not. It's not the people who are going to be coming coming to 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 us that are that are it's parents it, that we need the perception needs to change. Sometimes it's the people who are caring for us or loving us. You know, sometimes they're the people who, um, <clears throat> who with the best love and intentions they might you know they basically we need to we need to um be open to allow everybody to to um show us to extend to their best selves and reach their full potential and. Uh, that's that's why I'm really passionate um, about music because, like I said earlier, you know, there's a niche and there's a strand for everyone within music. And in the academy, some people go for their lessons, some people go for the orchestras and ensembles, some people do both, some people come to see me, and everybody has a, a place within music that they can feel, that they can enjoy, create, make music, benefit from music in whatever way, 
that they they find and that they they can engage and feel like they belong in music. So. And Jessica, I was wondering, um, we've spoken about some of the demographics that you work with, but I, I'm of the firm belief that everyone at some stage in their life, whether they've had what they would consider a perfect life or not, should engage in therapy. I just think it's you're exploring your mind and, and understanding how you work better and why you work the way you work. Um, so with that in mind, would is it possible? Is it, is, is it a done thing for a quote unquote, you know, person without, uh, you know, quote, quote, normal, I don't want to say that word, but someone who hasn't got autism or, or obvious problems, who's someone you would just see as a normal member of society, would it be open for them to come into and have a music therapy session? Or is it very kind of, no, it's, it's for a specific demographic? It's up, you're so, and thank you for that question. It's, it's absolutely not for a specific um, demographic. For example, um, Often I would work with people who really are passionate about music, love music, but they just need someone, for example, when they're learning their instrument, they, they, they want to find someone um, who is a little bit more sensitive in encouraging and supporting them in their learning. Mm. So that might be one, um, one reason I see people. Um, or, yeah, because often, I guess, especially with singing, I think people receive kind of messages when they're younger you know, oh, you can't sing or you haven't got a great voice. And that makes me really, really uh, upset and angry because um, often it's the furthest thing from the truth. Um, and and <laughs> you find that these people have beautiful voices waiting to waiting to be explored. So, um, yeah, that could be. I, um, and Seb, I think you're right. I mean, I think part of our studying as well. Uh, was to attend our own personal therapy, um, which I, I also I also agree can be really important and revealing for us, especially as therapists, because um, I suppose to be aware of someone else, we have to be completely aware of us and our responses mm-hmm. and, and uh, us within the dynamic. And to do that, we have to do the exploration through therapy. Um, and I suppose I don't, in the area of mental health, like I, I kind of think, it's been a tough. It's been a tough year for everybody. Um, that, Say that again. <laughs> you know, myself included. Every everyone. And um, there's a there's um, a kind of a, a revolution in how we're perceiving how we um, respond to, to mental health challenges. And it's 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 not solely with medication and not just a biological model anymore. Um, it's it's also a cultural, societal, creative model. And the creative part in that comes comes from our creating and um, and discovering and sometimes sharing with others um, what we what our experiences have been, and that can be you know um, an incredibly, I suppose, um, insightful um, and healing par- and uh, part of, of our of our process. Um, so it's not just we're not just solely looking at the biological model anymore. And I think that's so important. Um, you know, there is no blood test that you can get that, that diagnoses um, um, that, you know, a mental health challenge or a mental health illness. And so yeah. my point is that my point is that we need to alleviate the symptoms. Uh, we need to alleviate people's um suffering and some some of the way we can do that is through creative experiences and share and sometimes sharing those experiences with others and so that's that's a huge part of I suppose the new model and how we're looking at mental health or how I suppose how I I hope that people are looking 
um, towards towards mental health recovery. Yeah. And when you when we talk about music, obviously you said that a lot of it is actually making music and kind of, um, but when we listen to it as well, I was thinking we spoke, we've had a guest on previously, Lucy Jones, um, who spoke about um, nature and nature's effect on mental health and how it can improve your mental health. And I was just trying to think a bit outside the box. And I was thinking we spoke somewhat about when you hear, you know, the birds singing, the typical sounds that nature, nature's yeah. music, so so to speak, uh, mm-hmm. how that can make you feel. And the studies on that, how that can really help you with your mental health. I was wondering, is that ever kind of incorporated in the sense that I don't know how you would do such a thing, but where nature sounds as, as opposed to the oboe or the guitar or whatever the instrument oh, may be. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you think about it, we are musical beings. Like we have heartbeats, we have breath that can formulate rhythm. So we are, we, we are absolutely musical beings. And uh, I think there's a huge movement now, I suppose, towards this more ecological again, um, model of, um, of health that we're that we're looking towards I especially now when you know working outside could be a huge um benefit to us you know in terms mm. of I suppose a part of our response to to the coronavirus as well unfortunately in Ireland um we get stumped a lot by the weather <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah I do think there's I do and I I personally would love to explore that more myself because it's not an area that I have explored but I am absolutely um definitely very supportive of of the co- the combination I suppose of of um yeah because uh, you could even make the most of Ireland's um Ireland's rain because rain everyone knows rainfall on a window pane there's nothing more therapeutic than that so <laughs> hey you've, you you can yeah. corner the market over there in Ireland with that you know my friend uh, who grew up in Dublin um he lives in Nashville now and uh, he gets like quite romantic and nostalgic about the rain. It doesn't rain that much in Nashville compared to Dublin. <laughs> and he, he would often just sit and watch the rain with a cup of tea. Oh, brilliant. If only we could send him some, we'd do a little swap. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'll, we'll try organize something with the Nashville uh, government and see if we can do that. <laughs> yeah, surely we can let that happen. But that's, I, I love that, Sam. And I think just being outside really can be uh can definitely be really powerful and it's something i'd love to explore more myself mm. but i haven't really explored properly yet but i i know that there's a powerful connection to, to nature that can be really really um have huge health benefits for people um, yeah it, it 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 kind of like you said there seems to be this kind of um expanding of consciousness if you will about what is well-being and uh, and we've kind of like leapt out of the box that a lot of people were in maybe three or four decades ago and it kind of it to me it's like in yogi philosophy they they often talk about the idea that like you have health and you just need to realize what you're doing that's getting in the way of the health rather than in in the west it's kind of like no you need this for health and you need this and you need this so it's like there's a complete uh, contradiction there and I I feel like now with like these these therapies and this under like this greater understanding of our relationship with nature uh, and relationship with food and stuff really we're like oh okay probably we're getting in the way of our health rather than we need more with this and we need to do this and this if you think about it so the the development of what we call the dsm5 which is the diagnostic statistic manual of of mental health um, disorders 
when we think about the origins of that, that was really created because um, in the States, and they very much had the Freudian model of um, psychotherapy, which was, as, as Seb had said earlier, sitting on the couch, you know, kind of telling yeah. things. And it wasn't really working for them. And they were getting a bit jealous in, in the States because uh, in the UK, they were just, um, they were a little bit more effective, I suppose, at um, at uh, supporting and treating people with mental health disorders. And so they created this um, DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual. So really it was born not of, um, it, it was <laughs> it was born uh, from a kind of a competitive uh, angle and also, it, it wasn't it wasn't um, born out of a discovery. It was really um, it was really created, I suppose. To um, I'm trying to find the right words here, um, but it wasn't it wasn't um, born out of a discovery of of um, various mental health disorders. It was it was created, I suppose, from that from that angle. Um, and as I said earlier, you know, there's no way of take, having a blood test and di- diagnosing. Um, mental health disorder so our whole our whole approach and our whole kind of um approach of, of boxing and labeling mental health disorders is really um i find it quite challenging um and i know that often it does really help us because often it it does help us to support someone and treat someone in a certain way but um often really you know putting ourselves in in those boxes and and that's that's something i think to reflect on and like you said there's so many different um, angles towards um, to, to towards um, supporting someone with mental health disorders and challenges. Uh, um, I think we're all challenged at the moment, but you know, there's society itself and our perception of mental health challenges and disorders. And there's a culture. There's a culture around, for example, um, when um, this is again something I've completely recently discovered. Um, but when Prozac was first developed, they discovered that um, nobody in Japan was was uh, buying Prozac like they didn't have the culture to understand um like depression I suppose they did they just didn't have it that culture um and Prozac got together in the states and they go well Japan aren't aren't buying Prozac so what are we going to do how are we going to encourage them to buy into this and um to become another market for us and and that's kind of I know it sounds very cynical of me but but that is that is uh, one of the one of the um, the ways in which I suppose the pharmaceutical companies have operated, and I I personally I'm in complete I'm I'm an advocate of of all angles. So I'm an advocate in in medications that help and support us. I'm and I have to say that really importantly because I know they can be so so important and helpful and can make such a difference in people's lives. Medication. Mm. Um, but also the society being more being being supportive, um, our culture being supportive, and then finding our creative ways. Now, so, as you were saying earlier, that might be being outside, being in the garden. That might be part of your passion and part of your um, means of of um, means of 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 supporting yourself through a mental health disorder challenge. Uh, it might be it might be through music therapy. It might be music. And finding these creative ways, I think, are so, so important. I think I think what's key, I mean, one of my family members went to the doctor um, a couple of months ago with like with depression. And once that was kind of clearly diagnosed by the doctor, the first, you know, the first thing was, okay, we'll put you on to the medication. And there was no 
kind of exploration into other avenues and it was only because of people that I get to speak to like yourself with this podcast that we had as a family some sort of kind of awareness that other avenues and other possibilities existed and we said well we said to the doctor well what about this or what about have you thought about that and it was you could tell that it was just like they were trying to find a solution to the problem that was very immediate you know a one a one a one fits all and it's just a one solution fits all and and I just thought I understand like you said look we can't I don't want to talk badly about medication and make out that this is, this is this great evil because, like you said, there are some people which it works wonders for. But I think we have to be really careful that we don't just prescribe everyone who has has a mental health problem with some tablets and expect it to work. When they, especially when there are some really um, like music therapy, um, conventional therapy, drama therapy, dance therapies, and many other things mm-hmm. like to going out into nature, bless you, yeah. um, <laughs> where where they will help you and not only help you in the short term, but you can then incorporate that in. Because that's the other thing with the med- with the medication is it's a very kind of it seems to me anyway a, a bit of a short term solution, and then it's like well once you're better you can go off the meds. But whereas if you kind of incorporate some of these therapies into your lifestyle they're almost become a habit that you can then keep on with for the, you know, for the rest of your life and maintain, like Jim says, maintain good health rather than adding things to it that we always think of in the Western culture. I think if, if we can kind of expand our way of looking at mental health, um, then that would be a massive, massive step forward as, as a culture. First of all, uh, I think I just want to say um, what a courageous and big step it is to take that first step and say, I want to feel better. Um, yeah. And that's part of the society, the society's reflection that, you know, people, I suppose society needs to be a place where people can do that, can take that step um, in the most encouraging um, environment impossible, you know, possible. Um, and I, I, it really is a huge step. And it's it's an incredibly courageous step to say, I, I'm ready, I want to feel better you know, and, and I'm going to make that, make that first, um, take that first step towards that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, the issue around medication, I mean, I personally, I, I think, I think medication can be so helpful, but I think it works best when it's in conjunction with other things, you know, mm. and, and, um, and that's it. I think when we approach the doctors as well, you know, doctors, they they their training immediately um supports them to respond in a biolo- to a biological um response, which is medication. There's something chemical that needs to change and that and that's yeah. true. And so it's a complete biological model. Um but I guess maybe the doctors also need to be equipped to look at everything surrounding someone who approaches them and say, you know what, you're 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 a person who might respond brilliantly through music so I have a list of music therapists here and we're also going to do this in conjunction or you know here's here's um some and, and I think doctors generally in Ireland I think they I think they're getting much better at this but I I I do think there needs to be uh, then a kind of um, a team a team of support around someone you know and and it's not just the biological model it's it's um it's supporting someone from a range of different angles yeah for sure yeah i i love this guy called gabor mate <laughs> i reference him a lot uh, jim brings him up in every podcast it's not like the last podcast if he hasn't brought up gabor mate okay I, I need to do more reading of this guy oh, he's, he's my hero basically but um 
he 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 says that when patients come into him and they say and then they are either diagnosed with a condition or they they say I think I might have this or whatever, he just asks them about their lives then because he thinks I need to understand this person's environment if I'm to consider what's the next step. Yeah, you know, so it's it's never oh I see this condition this he says yeah. oh, and and the thing with um to boost to change the chemicals with uh with medication i also have friends that the medication works perfectly for and and i'm very happy but also the the chemical change can occur through uh what we would what means in which we don't uh fully recognize or Mm. appreciate right now for instance like the the chemistry in my mind can change based on whether i feel connected to the group i'm in right now or whether i'm having an engaging conversation or these things that we, we you know bash off as as oh, that's that's woo woo or something where these chemical changes occur they really do occur uh, and we just don't give that enough credence in in this culture in this society like you said yeah. um, there, there's just uh, the thing that comes to mind also around this topic that i wanted to ask you was uh I wrote my master thesis last year on uh, the introduction of mindfulness into Irish education. And it was an interesting, I came across an interesting like stumbling block where there's like a split in the, in the mindfulness community implementing into schools because there's one side that say, Oh, we need to look for, for these measurements and, and this will mean that this is successful and stuff, which I understand because that's part of the mainstream science now, but also there's a bit of hypocrisy in that uh, mindfulness meditation is there, there, there's a lack of judgment totally. And to then, to then tell students, Hey, I want you to let go of judgment, but then directly after we're going to ask you to judge that there's like a hypocrisy to it. Um, but I wanted to ask you, do, do you have difficulties in terms of like the quantitatively, uh, proving the effectiveness of music what therapy what a good question i love that question because often the evidence that we build up i mean if you think of i suppose for example randomized control trials i mean it's very hard to get a control for music um like you know we, we do find it hard to create that kind of evidence but we have a dearth of evidence in every other area basically um, and we do have some randomized control trials. There's a couple of Cochrane reports, um, and we have what there's one on um, music therapy and depression, and there's one around music therapy and autism, and they both uh, been found to be um, particularly successful in those areas. But yeah, you're 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 completely right, um, and it, it's 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 interesting as well. Like, I suppose. Yeah, our, our evidence, we were constantly evaluating as well. I think it's really important to say that. Like we're constantly creating notes um, during, after following our sessions and creating reports after after a number of sessions so that we're completely reflecting and responding um, to what's going on. And um, in terms of our evaluation, yeah, I mean, we are, we're often as well working in conjunction with other, with another team around, um around someone so we would look at the goals that we that we working towards and we um i suppose we would um um and we would evaluate based based around those goals where possible so if someone's goal was um around speech and language um depending on how specific the goal was 
for example, um, I was working with a young boy and his mum came in and said, oh, he said five new worlds this week, which was for him was really great. So that was and, and what was beautiful about that was it was a continuation of what was happening from the session. So it wasn't just within the sessions. It was it was um, following on and bringing what we had been doing in the sessions outside of that, which is, of course, what we want. You know, we don't want something to be just effective within a session. We wanted to impact change uh, on a person outside of that as well. Um, so that's so we, we are constantly responding and evaluating um, in terms in terms of mindfulness. I'm, I'm really interested in mindfulness myself. I kind of feel like the more pressure we put on ourselves, the um, in terms of judgment, you know, I think my my uh, personal feeling would be I would wonder like are we teaching children that if we have to eval- if, if we're evaluating it after you know it, does it have purpose just on its own or can we just reflect and be still by ourselves without having to evaluate it that would kind of be my um, opinion around that but that's that's around the mindfulness area in terms of music therapy yeah we would be evaluating in a number of of, of different ways so someone would be with the care workers or parents or team around um team around someone in, in relation to the goals and some of it would be um i suppose in relation to the to what someone is presenting in the session what some how someone is using their session time um what they're what they're feeding back to us as well um yeah and Jessica, seeing as we're talking about the science, um, I was wondering, is there any science that talks about um, the frequency of certain genres of music that maybe you would, I think the stereotype would be oh, heavy metal. That's not going to be, that's not going to be conducive to um, <laughs> staying calm. But yeah, I've got one of my best friends here in Spain is an absolute junkie on heavy metal. And he's one of the nicest, kindest, funniest, most loving people you'd ever meet but yet he almost exclusively will only listen to the darkest heavy metal you could possibly mm-hmm. find um so i was wondering is there any kind of science that backs any of this up i mean i know that sometimes if i want to feel a certain way or i want to change yeah. my mood there are certain people or certain genres that i tune into you know i don't listen to classical music when i'm going on a run because i'll run my slowest mile ever but mm. if i want to kind of be zen then i will do is, is there any kind of would you ever prescribe maybe to some of your patients say look with the state the mental state that they're in right now i wouldn't suggest they listen to x y and z or, or vice versa oh i love that question because it kind of relates to how we use music in our lives as well you know mm. we have different music that we use to motivate us we do have different music that we use to uplift us we do have music, yeah. music that is connected very strongly to memories but i think the most important thing is that it's actually us who responds to the music it's not the music necessarily that initiates with the same response in everybody i think that's that's really important um it's really important for me when i'm working because I'm responding yeah. and I'm interacting and I'm um, reflecting with someone. And so, you know, just like you said, your friend, that heavy metal music might help, might support him to feel really relaxed and in a very calm space. Um, whereas I, I, um, I don't know, it might not do the same for me or for you or. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's it's important that the response lies with us. Um, each each of our responses to music is um is individual and also i guess you know a lot of the time our musical preferences they're kind of wrapped up in our identity how we you know when we're teenagers and and um how we created 
you know, our musical identities and music that is um, reflected at certain times in our lives um, and important times in our lives. So, you know, it is so it is so different uh, for everyone. And and the types of music, for just like you said, that we use it um, to engage in different aspects of our lives for example if we want to mow we're driving or you know we're cleaning the house we might listen to one type of music um if we want to really connect with maybe a more uh, reflective poignant emotion we might listen to uh, something completely completely different you know or we might if we want something to spiritually uplift us we listen to something completely different too and what's beautiful is if you asked everybody what kind of music they would listen within each of whatever category you're thinking about um they would all say something different yeah. um, and if you play the same piece of music to someone to a group of people they will all respond emotionally differently mm. um, yeah so really good question <laughs> but i think i think the answer does really that our responses and how music uh, how we respond to music is really individual and unique and another part of the beauty of music and music therapy <laughs> Jessica, I have to say, um, unfortunately, I can't play any instruments. Uh, I have a, I have a pipe dream of being able to play the piano. Um, but the closest thing that comes to mind is um, I lived in a community in Denmark last year, and oh, wow. the ch- chanting was quite was quite common. Yeah. And I would have kind of never given credence either to the to the powerful uh, feeling or experience within a choir, but but when you chant with other people at the same tone and it's it's really very powerful you really do feel like you're kind of transcending like your individual being yeah um i guess i wanted to ask is is this similar when when you're totally in the flow of playing instruments either alone or with somebody else Oh, I love, I mean, I think um, just to reflect on singing for a moment as well, like our voice is such an important part of us. And when we tap in and connect that, um, especially with other people, I mean, that's, that's something really special. And I found in choirs as well, you know, you kind of, your primary aim within a choir is most often is to blend. Mm. It's it's not, it's not to, um you know, sometimes you might have people might have a solo, but really your primary your primary job is to is to blend and feel that sense of belonging with others and the voices around you. Um and that is and when you're I suppose your voice is such a it's so personal, it comes from you, it's a part of you. And when you tap into that and connect into that, that can be so powerful and um really, really powerful. And I'm not saying we don't need our times to shine as well. You know, but um, but there's a there's a definitely a powerful, beautiful thing about feeling yourself, your voice blending with others. Um, in terms of the orchestra, yeah, I really, um, so I play the oboe, so that's kind of a that's kind of a um a unique um place in the orchestra because, like most wind instruments, sometimes you're blending and sometimes you need to you need to project your sound, um, so you got a bit of both. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of um. Which is and and I've always thought that playing the oboe really is like singing with the oboe in your mouth. Like I think probably, like I think probably most most wind instruments are, um. But I definitely think that um, there's something very powerful about working with your voice, um, because it's part of you, and that feeling of blending and belonging, um, is really special, and it's it's a, it, um, 
Another strand of music therapy is community music therapy, where where music therapists would be working with specifically within communities. And so it does look a bit different because the goals and the aims would be would be slightly different. You know, they are about they are about um, uplifting people's sense of belonging um, and how through a community rather than through um, individual work. And that that sense of belonging is a huge part of that. I think as human beings, like we're, I, I think that sense of belonging is, is so is so important for us. It's really, really, it's really important. And um, especially now, you know, I think we're, especially now and, and over the last years, I think we've been drifting maybe a bit further away from it than we, than is good for, than is, you know, than, than we want, than is good. Yeah. Um, and I definitely think music can support us to bring that sense of belonging back. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny, Jessica. I just read an, a very interesting article. A woman has, is writing a book on it. It's just been published, actually, about how um, loneliness mm. uh, is a contributing factor to the rise in, in populism. And that mm. when, you're, when you feel alone, you're much more likely to see the world as a scary, uh, you know, cut cutthroat world but if you are a member of a community you know and and you feel connected to the people you live with are you the people you sing with are the people you play football with etc etc yeah. that's less likely to happen oh for and, sure I mean, that makes perfect sense yeah yeah, yeah definitely jessica with with that in mind um Let's see if I can shoehorn this question in here. Um, you being an oboe player, a classical, a classical um, instrument, um, I was wondering. We, I mean, we're in this world now, there's so many different genres. It feels like there's a new genre of music every day. Uh, yeah. It's hard to keep up with. But one of the ones which at least um, seems to have fallen by the wayside would definitely be classical music. And I read like an interesting piece saying that kind of the only composers of our time nowadays are the ones who uh, or the main ones are the ones who, you know, um, do film scores. So Hans Zimmer, for example, would be one that springs to mind. And I really resonate. I love, basically, I love every film he's ever sc- scored on because all of his music is just incredible. Um, I was wondering, do you think, especially with the instrumental instrumental nature of a um, of an orchestra and the fact that there's no kind of electronic music, it's all instrument played, uh, do you think that we are, as a society, kind of, missing out on, on on what maybe previous generations centuries back kind of took for granted and that we whilst we're kind of we love the rock and the hip-hop and the rap and all these kind of contemporary genres that's what you could argue was the foundation for every genre nowadays we yeah. kind of do you know I, I don't know if i'm kind of getting my point across but my point being is that i went to see gregory porter who is the personification of a velvet voice mm-hmm. and we went to see him in london at albert hall and he was it was a surprise, but he played on that in that one on that one night. He played with the London Symphony Orchestra. Yeah, and another friend of mine saw him in Manchester, but he didn't have an orchestra. He just had a, a normal jazz jazz band behind him. And we came, we I kind of compared, and they were com- two completely different experiences that we had. The songs were all the same, everything else was the same, but just the fact that there was an orchestra playing, and it's the first time I'd ever seen an orchestra live. And it really, I mean, tingles, real tingles. Um, And I just thought, I wish there was more of this and it wasn't kind of seen. Because I think nowadays we think of classical music as this kind of highbrow thing that most of people can't get involved with. And I'm wondering if, do you see that? Do you recognize that? Oh, I think that's been happening for a long time. I think it's important now even to say that really every kind of music is in jeopardy at the moment. 
you know, I mean, with theatres, honestly, so many, I think something like a huge number of freelance, a huge proportion of freelance musicians are considering now uh, other other careers and these are people who have studied all their lives longer than for example doctors you know like you've really got to think about that classical music it's an ecosystem it's not just um you know it's it's like you said it's completely part of evolution really of music but it's more than that it's more than that like um I, there are there's beauty and complexity in every kind of music but really the kind of complexity and the kind of um um yeah, and the kind of and the kind and the skill and the um and the the absolute beauty of harmony that you find um from the great composers is something that we have to treasure really. Um not just to preserve because it, it it's you know, it's uh, as you said, it like it's it's an ecosystem. It's a complete uh ecosystem of tradition and music and um and culture and and genius really from the great yeah. you know that we that we have to observe um and the fact that that's getting lost at the moment is is actually when you think about it it would it would pretty much <laughs> it would really really i mean you don't want to think about it too much because it would just be too too sad um and you're right from that grew all different and and like i said there is beauty and complexity in every type of music and in every type of, of voice, there's uniqueness and beauty and complexity. But what we would lose from if we if we lost classical music would be too immense to really to consider. You know, when we when we when we think about um, the the great composers, the harmonies, the um, the the centuries really of of um, of of these uh, of 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 this music. And how it's endured so far, and how it affects us when we listen to it, you know, like you said, the effect it had on you, which was beautiful. Yeah. And I mean, like I've gone to music colleges. There, there are hundreds and thousands of people attending music colleges. Um. So, so, in that sense, it's still, it's still, it's still, um. You know, there's alive and kicking. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. what, what's, what's been happening? What's happening now in particular? is really really sad um and yeah i mean we'll see i mean we have two national orchestras here um and it was one of them was in quite a lot of jeopardy you know they thought they were going to combine both into one which had been really sad because they both have very different roles in in, in the country here um but just before just before uh corona kicked in the concert hall um, is now kind of the new home of our National Symphony Orchestra. So they always perform concerts there, but they were funded by our um, RTE, which is our our um, radio and television network. But now they're they're kind of supported and funded by the concert hall itself. But of course, the concert hall hasn't been able to um, host any any concerts or performances for so long. So. Um, you know, we just kind of hope and and um for the moment and depend on on government funding to keep going. But um, but yeah, I I I think it has a very important place. Yeah. Uh, one more question just before we go. It just it just came to mind right now. I was wondering. We've spoken about music and how it links to identity. And whilst Jim is guilty of bringing up Gabo Mate, I think I'm bring, guilty of bringing up identity in every podcast. Um, and um, I think. 
I always think about how music kind of intrinsically links to our identity, you know, yeah. and I was wondering two things when you have a, um, clients, if they come from different backgrounds, um, cultural backgrounds, is that taken into, into um, play when you think about what music would, would be what you would suggest or what you would try to play with them? I imagine, you yeah. know, for example, yeah. and the second, the second thing I was going to ask was, if a patient for let's say uh, you know you've got an irish patient kind of maybe never left the country or have seldom traveled or they have traveled very close to shore do you kind of almost express or allow them to quote unquote travel through music and offer them kind of different tastes different sounds you know maybe playing them some classical indian or classic african music or oriental or whatever it may be because i find that traveling to me has been the best thing I've ever done in my life. But it does occur to me that you can travel without traveling, if that makes sense. You can go to a, a Chinese restaurant and if you eat traditional Chinese food, you feel like you understand the culture a bit more. And I imagine it must be something similar with, with music. If you listen to something that's traditionally from another country, even though if you're listening to it through speakers in Dublin, you some you must some way kind of transcend and, and maybe that might offer, I don't know if that's useful for some people or or, or, or not. Totally. I mean, if you think of, um, I think that's, that's a really important point, because when you think about how um, individual our responses to music are and how the memories and the identity that, as we said, that we have tied up with them, you know, we've got to, I suppose, harness that within our sessions. And um, that's that's the music that's going to engage someone. So that's the music that we are going to bring to the sessions and that's the music that our clients are bringing to the sessions so it's so important and I love the idea of traveling um I think the beauty of music is um it's kind of like a bit like a book as well you can travel anywhere through music just like you said um and you can imagine and create any kind of um world that you want through music you know yeah if I say to you what image does this music bring you might think of something completely different to me so you know, we can all travel to unique places through music as well. Um, mm-hmm. But I do, I do really love that question, especially now. You know, if you're, <laughs> if you need, if you need a, a form of, I guess, escape, and you can imagine, okay, I want to imagine I'm sitting on the beach somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you can create yeah, yeah. that will help you to create that um, that landscape um, in your, you know, that imaginary landscape. For sure. Yeah, For sure. that's that's really. That's really important. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a million, Jessica. This is this has been fantastic. Oh, um, thank you. I'm before, glad. Before we let you go, though, we we uh, we like to ask our guests how they keep on um, their their mental health, how how they try to maintain uh, a, a good sense of well being. That's a really good question. Well, I do go, um, I'm there online at the moment, but I do have personal therapy myself. Um, I'm very close to my friends and family and I guess they, uh, I'm very blessed with them. So I kind of, you know, it's really important for me to keep in touch uh, with my friends and family. Um, I go for lovely walks. <laughs> I have been, Mar- I don't know, James, do you know Marley Park? But I, live I really- do know Marley Park. Well, I live really close to Marley. So yeah so I go for lovely walks I mean unfortunately at the moment there isn't a lot really that we can kind of do Mm. but they're they're the main things that I do for me and I do a little bit of meditation um as well yeah beautiful stuff 
<laughs> Thank you. I think with meditation, the trick is you work on it when you don't kind of you you when you don't uh, want to. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> 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 then you develop the habits when you really need it, and you go, okay, yeah, <laughs> you can kick yeah. it. Then. Yeah. I, I forget um, who said it, but they say, "Oh, meditate five minutes a day. That's all you need." And then if you don't have five minutes of the day, fifteen minutes. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah. because it's like oh no i'm too busy i'm sorry i can't do it i can't do it then you really need to do it then if you can't do it, do it. Yeah. exactly <laughs> well thank you great for, it's been such a pleasure talking to you both thank you no absolutely the pleasure is all ours the pleasure is all ours before we let you go it'd be remiss of us if we didn't let you um plug away and, and, and let people try and find you or, or find more about music therapy so if there's any websites or your own i don't know social media handles or anything you could give to people um so that they can try and find out some more if they're interested uh, oh that's really kind so i'm on the council of iacash which is the irish association of creative arts therapists and if you want to find a uh, creative arts therapist in ireland that in- that encompasses music drama dance um so this might be helpful for you guys uh definitely um <laughs> if you if you'd like to find other creative arts therapists yeah um so it's it's iacat it's www.iacat i-a-c-a-t dot i-e um and that's kind of i suppose the the association the associative body of creative arts therapists in ireland so they're really important because when you sign up and you become a member first of all you have to have been qualified and you you are um, agreeing with their code of ethics and basically that means that you're you know safe to safe to work and you're accredited um, so that's definitely one to look up my own website I'm actually um, in the process of rejuvenating at the moment but it is um, it's jessicaharrismt.com I was about to say the www but I don't think anyone and then um, I'm also on Facebook um, I think it's Jessica Harris Music Therapy music therapist ireland um let me just double 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 check yeah jessica harris music therapist ireland uh, so beautiful find me there as well great stuff we'll include all of those links in the show notes guys so anyone who's who's interested can click away and uh, find out any more information if we haven't covered what you wanted to hear on this podcast but thank, uh, thank you so much jessica for your time it's been lovely oh it's been a pleasure thank you so much to you both hi guys Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review if you haven't already. Every review helps us climb the podcast charts so that even more of you can listen to our amazing guests. We really appreciate the support. Remember to tune in next week, but until then, keep safe and have a good one.